0: Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, I uh, thank you for this opportunity to come before you, to come in your in your place, and to uh, just worship you, God, to worship you in reading Scripture, to worship you in uh, listening to your Word, to worship you in song, to worship you in fellowship. Uh, we thank you for that grand opportunity we have to worship you right now so we pray that uh that you would just help us in coming to you um in as worshipful way and as worshipful a position in our hearts that we can uh, please remove any barriers please remove anything you know just kind of getting in our in our hearts and our minds kind of clouding us and uh, prepare our hearts for this message and and for me personally father may i be able to just fully decrease that you might increase, that your word may be spoken and not mine, and that it may all be to your glory, to the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, The title of this sermon is Under the Curse. I'm still feeling weird about that title, mostly because I feel like a curse. When I think of curse, I think of like Indiana Jones. Like I think of like touching like a... I don't know, some like, uh, sculpture made of gold that like, makes your you know, skin fall off or something. like Curse just seems like a very like old-fashioned kind of dated word. But I do think that there's actually a lot of connection, a lot of meaning and depth that we can explore when we use that word, so I kind of kept it. But when I, when I think of curse and when I say curse, what I'm really thinking of is something just being like made so bad to the point of being offensive. It's like something grand and beautiful kind of being subtracted of all of its value. And so I'm going to try and like define terms as I keep going through the through the message today. But I do want to start off with that one because it's the it's the first one there. So, yeah, give me a sec. Okay. One of the first glimpses we get into the fallen nature... Um, into like, like like the Genesis story. Everything is good. Everything, God created the world and the world is beautiful. And humans are existing and they're great. And they're just walking around and I don't know, naming animals and having a great time. And then it's something that we all as Christians recognize as the fall happens. And then there's like this downward spiral and everything just seems to get worse because it is. And one of the first glimpses, one of the first stories we get to kind of show us like just how bad things got at that point was the story of Cain and Abel. I think most of you guys probably know the story, but just just as a way to like spark notes our way through it, Cain and Abel were brothers. They were the, the sons of Adam and Eve. They both brought an offering before God Abel brought an offering and God was like, I love this offering. And Cain brought another offering and God was like, okay, that's that's all right. And so Cain had this opportunity to like, uh, I don't know, not kill his brother, but he didn't. He killed his brother. And we went through this story a few weeks ago in uh, in the youth group we have here at church. I remember I asked all of of the youth there, I said, what do you think Cain used to to kill his brother. And it wasn't just for the sake of being morbid or to have this like strange image or fantasy, but I, I was curious. I was like, what do you guys think? And they thought maybe like a rock, maybe a shovel, maybe, maybe his hands. And then I kind of went through each of the options that were, that were given to me. And I was like, okay, let's say a rock, what are rocks for? Rocks are a piece of God's beautiful earth. We're supposed to look at rocks and, and mountains and landscapes. and We're supposed to glorify God. He used a rock for violence. That's, he made, took something great and made it terrible. Or, or let's say it was a shovel or like some kind of farming instrument. Is this something that was meant to dig up the ground, to cultivate the earth, to, to grow food for your family and for your communities, but instead he used it for violence? his hands that may be the worst the worst offense at all you use your hands to to give high fives out to people you use your hands to 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 do your job you use your hand to comfort your children when they're crying but instead Cain used his hands for violence all of this was just kind of this 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 big buildup to explain that under the under this time under this new era of of sin Something that humans were very, very capable of was taking something beautiful and taking something good and making it evil, making it terrible, or even worse, kind of tying back to my first statement, cursing it, making it a curse, subtracting it of its value and making it terrible. Even the best things can be cursed by people who don't know better. And so what what how does this tie into what we're talking about today? Well, in the passage that we're in, Paul is uh, is speaking to the, the church in Galatia. He's speaking to the church, the, the to the Galatian church. And as we've mentioned throughout this year, the big issue that Paul and the Galatians have is that in this church, there are people who are teaching a gospel that essentially says, if you are really a Christian, if you're really a follower of Jesus, you should be doing this stuff from the law. And we'll get to the law in a second. I'm gonna try and give like a nice little rundown explanation of it. But that's really the big conflict between Paul and what he's saying to this church is that you guys are adding law stuff and Jesus never intended for it to be done this way. There was never supposed to be this legal uh, uh, qualification for what makes you now clean in the eyes of God. And so what is the law? Well, it's 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 big, but it's also small. It's I'll try to explain it in very very simple terms. A lot of us when we think of the law, especially just as, as maybe not through Christian ears, but just through people's ears, we think of the law as a legal requirement. Um, the law says I can't go 50 in a 35. The law says uh, I can't build this fence on my property, or something. I don't know, but like, the law is kind of weird. But like, essentially, like, there's this, there's this idea of expectation, and the law was really this, like, multifaceted thing that God had given to Israel in the Old Testament, His people, and it was, it was this combination of like moral. Uh, concepts like this is where you get the Ten Commandments, don't kill, don't covet, don't uh, commit adultery, but also like political and more like cultural things. I mean like one of the big reasons there was conflict in this church was they were saying you've got to get circumcised if you're a Christian. That was a deeply embedded concept within the law and so this is where the conflict sits. And we read a passage uh, from Romans 13, which basically said that the summary of the law, the fulfillments of the law is love. Um, I've heard this like little like uh, phrase used in a lot of Christian circles of like, love God, love your neighbor. That's honestly a great breakdown and summary of what the law truly is. Now, I, I mentioned this before, but we tend to think that the law was like meant to be bad, that God gave them the law so that it would be this like horrible burden that eventually Jesus would lift from them. And that's like partially true, but we also have to like keep in mind, the law was not bad. The law was actually a good thing that God was giving to these people. You have to think imagine you're living in a society where it's very like custom for, I don't know, for parents to aggressively harm their children. If you just like plopped into this kind of a society, I think you'd be really grateful for literally the God of the universe to be like, I, I actually, you need to stop doing that. Like, you need, you need to stop that. So, Really what we see in the law is this like greater expectation and more, more so this design for what God wanted to create, how, how God wanted creation, creation to function um, under the burden, under the, under the curse of the law. And so we have to ask ourselves, and this is really what the core of what I want to talk about is going to be, the law was a good thing. But these dudes in Galatia, these these false teachers, were saying, ah, yeah, Jesus was supposedly um, finishing everything when he died on a cross. But in reality, you have to do these things. You have to check these boxes. And if you don't, you're not really a Christian. So what we see is what we've seen before. We see the law, a good thing, getting distorted again and made to be corrupt. And I don't think there's many of us here, I could be wrong, but I don't think there's many of us here who probably think you, you have to get circumcised to get saved. Like, I've never, I've, I don't, I've never seen that on message boards. I don't, I don't feel like that's a big, like, buzzing debate on Twitter. I don't feel like most of you guys would ever say if you're not circumcised, guys, you're not really a Christian. I don't think that is really an accurate depiction of how this struggle affects us today. But I do think, in many ways, it does affect us today. This, this, this temptation to like mix the law into how we are to be saved. Because law is always about us. It's always about our actions. How are we putting ourselves as our own saviors in some way. That's the question we have to ask. And so as I get into that, I I have a few points that I that I want to say. This first one is this is not this is like a pre-point. It's less like the main dish, it's more like the appetizer. This one's like the mozzarella sticks, and it's mostly because I think that this may not even be necessary for you guys here. I think you guys are going to hear this and be like, yes. And that's, that's great. But we've got, we've got more. So if you think like, oh, that was an easy sermon. like, Ooh, get ready. Um, but the first point, and this is so, so, so essential because it's literally fundamental to who we are as Christians. First point, love God and love your neighbor is not the gospel. Again, love God and love your neighbor is not the gospel. And again, while we're defining terms, what is the gospel? The gospel is not just a thing that is true about Christianity. The gospel is what makes Christianity, Christianity. The gospel is the good news. The gospel is what Jesus has come down, what God became uh, flesh and bone to give us. If we're saying that love God and love your neighbor is the gospel, then Jesus swam down from heaven from thousands of feet into the air, probably assuming heaven is a physical place, which is a weird thing. Just so he could say, hey guys, uh, do better if we're saying that like love God and love your neighbor is the gospel, then all we're doing is putting the burden of salvation square on our shoulders. And it's our responsibility. And it's our thing that we have to do for ourselves. This is works based salvation. It's one of the oldest straight up heresies that the Christian church has ever known. And we have to reject that. But the sad thing is this is still a necessary thing to say. I remember about a year ago, um, I was working with uh, with Buzzy Hansen, and we were working to uh, hire some child care workers for for people here um, to to work in in both of the rooms during during church service. And one of the questions I would ask, you know, aside from like, ah, oh, yeah, do you would you call yourself a Christian? Stuff like that. Was I was just like, how would you like explain the gospel to me? Like what? Like if you had to say like what the gospel was, like how would you explain that? And there were a lot of people who were like, well, you know, I think the gospel is just a uh, you know, uh, love people as best as you can, and, uh, you know, try not, to be, try not to be harmful and try to do the right thing, and, uh, you know, keep to the golden rule, and, you know, do unto others, you know, things like that, and it was just like, it was just like moral after moral after law after law, and these are good things, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying we shouldn't love people. I'm not saying we shouldn't sacrifice for people. But if that is what makes God look at us and say, that's my child. If that's, what separ- if that's the only thing that separates us from those who aren't saved, like that just completely just tramples over like the entire Bible. This whole idea of like, we're not saved because we deserve it. And so that, we got to start there. That's, that's, our, that's our mozzarella sticks. Love God, love your neighbor is not the gospel. We are saved by faith and faith alone. However, I think a lot of people here would agree with that, right? Like, I, I don't think there's many people who are going to be like, nope, saved by works. John, you're a fraud. I don't think that's happening, which I, again, I think is great. I think most, I think if I polled every person here privately and said, um, Adam, saved by faith, saved by works, pick one. I think, I think I'd say the, the vast majority would be like saved by faith, not works, which I think is wonderful, which I think is great. However, I was having this great, great, great conversation uh, over Surge uh, about, on Monday. It was, with, uh, it was with Josh Selvey and with Jacob Lewis. And we were talking a lot about this idea of law and faith and salvation. And we, we kind of talked through this idea that like, what if what a lot of people are doing is we're taking the law, which we no longer think saves us, and then we're replacing it with faith. But when we understand faith, it's really just law stacked up on top of each other. So what we're calling faith that we say that we're saved by is actually just law, which means that we actually didn't move from law to faith. We moved from law to uh, another law that's wearing a name tag that says faith. And I think that's really problematic. And I know that's an internal thing that I also experienced myself. So we have to ask that question. The question is, are you identifying your right standing with God based on your own performance in some way? Are you identifying your right standing with God based on your own performance? I think there's a couple ways that we do this. The first one, and I guess this would be my second point, but my first real point, so however you'd like to arrange that in your notes, be my guest, but... I think the first way that we do this is we create a law of no burden. A law of no burden. For these individuals, their their faith is a law that, that reflects them very easily. It's a law where the, 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 the values and the themes and everything about God and Scripture. It just happens to be stuff that comes to you really, really naturally. Let's say you're a, you're a very community-oriented person. You're very loyal to your friends. You're very caring to the people around you. You'd give them the shirt off your back in a heartbeat. But when it comes to those who were kind of outside that inner circle that you inhabit so gratefully, you're less inclined to grace. You're less inclined to that kind of self-sacrificial living. You're more just kind of like, you know, it's not really my calling, right? I mean, I don't know. I know God says, you know, uh, the least of these and, you know, all these people on the outside, but for you, you're you're a community-oriented person. Or let's say it's family. To love your family, I think, is a very, is a very excellent biblical view. You would, you, would, you would die for your wife. You would, you would sacrifice everything for your kids. You spend time with your family. You provide for your family. That is an A plus job. But when it comes to those who are outside, you could kind of care less. I mean, I don't know. It's just, it's just very clear. Like, like, I value my family. My family is important to me. Everyone else kind of becomes maybe peripheral, maybe less than that. Or I got in an argument with a buddy of mine. Thomas was there. It wasn't Thomas, though. Um, dude is, has, has this incredible passion. He's like, the church, people are attacking the church too much these days. Just throwing the church under the bus. The church is the bride of Christ. This is not Okay. But the question for that person is, how do you care about those who are outside of the church? How do you care about literally the lost people who are not inside these walls, hearing these messages, singing these songs? Do you still have love for them like God does? The question we have to ask you all of this is, are, are we creating this law of expectations, these like little checkpoints that we do that make us feel great about ourselves, where we're really just finding all the areas that God agrees with us naturally, jumping onto those, and then kind of turning a blind eye to everything else about God. Are we doing that? I mean, I think it's very easy to do so but I also think that the Bible is full of people and and, and groups who are constantly called to wrestle with the nature of who God is. I mean, that's where we get the word Israel from. Israel was because Jacob was wrestling with God. He was not, he was not ambivalent or indifferent to God. He had to wrestle with him. He had to wrestle with everything God was with his character and while he got his hip jacked up, he also was blessed for it because he was engaging and fighting with God to know him. And so I think the, the, the big problem with kind of submitting to this, this, this law of no burden is that it, it can very easily make us spiritually complacent. We just kind of think, well, hey, all of my convictions I know are very biblical convictions, the life that I'm living, the journey that I'm on, I know it's where God has me. So we tend to maybe not challenge ourselves as much as we ought to. We don't really explore things outside of our circles very often. And you might even be a little bit self-righteous. And so are we submitting ourselves to a law of no burden? This, this law that makes us feel approved and accepted. And again, maybe a little bit better than the guy standing next to you. Because in your mind, the Jesus that you're worshiping is really just a guy who looks a lot like you. Let's move on. Next point. Last one was a law of no burden. This one is the opposite. This is the law of endless burden. Are you the kind of person maybe who your faith is this co- collection of convictions that you could never touch with a 10-foot pole? You're very aware of the holiness and the the grandeur of who God is. And as a result, you feel like the tiniest mouse, the tiniest termite, the tiniest little worm in any kind of conversation about God or even with God. You know your shortcomings and your failings so intimately well that it's almost crippling to how you could connect, and love God, and maybe even the people around you. You believe that God loves you, you do, but it's more like a, like a contractual love, like God loves you because he said that he would, because he signed his name, because Jesus died, and now he can't really go back on it, but when God is flipping through his wallet and all of the pictures of his favorite saints, you're like, you're like not even in it, or maybe you're like, I don't know, on like his 10th fridge that he doesn't really see very often. Just not a favorite. This law of like impossible burden is a crushing one, right? See, the, the problem with the first hypothetical person was that their God was too much like themselves that there was no challenge to be had. The problem with this second person is that the God is nothing like you. He doesn't love enough to empathize he doesn't love enough to humble himself he doesn't love enough to forgive he's just this like abstract alien being that 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 gives you these like cryptic codes and puzzles and impossible sudokus and says finish these and then i'll love you and so you're just spending all your time thinking about all of, all of the ways you can, you can try. You can, you can just pull out your hair and hopefully get a kind look from God and you just always find yourself failing as a result. This is, this, this is like, I've said this before, this is a view of God and of scripture that I think is often too accepted because we look at it as humble and we look at it as, oh, this is meek. But when in reality, it's just, it's just self-destructive. It's, 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 just, it's just shooting yourself in the leg to the point of not really being able to serve or love or, or know God, which is what he wants is to know all of us. There's, there's this struggle this person has to see Jesus as a friend and to see God as a father and to see the Holy Spirit as as loving and personal and intimate. And and despite the fact that this person may struggle so much to see those things, they're all true. They're all biblical. Jesus is our friend and our brother and close to us. He is the high priest who can empathize and who knows all of our weaknesses because he walked through them himself. Our father is loving and kind and a father to us. The Holy Spirit is close. It doesn't leave every time you sin, like count down for 10 minutes until the the cool down period and then swoop back in when he thinks that you're good. He's with us through the thick and the thin of it. The issue with this viewpoint is that it can paralyze. Some of these are people who have left the church because they feel like no worship in hearing God's truths. They only feel shame. These are people who won't take communion, which was made for sinners. And maybe they're, they're, they're doing all of these things, but they won't confess like some of the things that they're struggling with. So what is our answer to this? We've said that love love God and love your neighbor is not the gospel. We've said that this law of no burden and kind of like copy and pasting yourself onto God um, is not the gospel. We've said that this law of impossible burden is definitely not the gospel. So what law... Can can build a bridge sturdy enough for us to cross and get to God once and for all. What's the answer? No law. No law can do it. Only faith. Right? No law can do it. Like I said, law, the common denominator of every part of the law, from from cultural customs to holidays to circumcision to don't kill your neighbor, yada, 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 it's all us. It's all based on our own ability and capacity and what we can possibly do. And so God did not say, all right, like, 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 I'll meet you 99, you just do one. God did not do that. The, lo- the only law that can save us is the not law, the zero law, the absence of law. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not a law without good works, Because we can see clearly in Ephesians 2 that we're made for good works. It's like the relationship between a healthy tree and and fruits. Like That is is the cause and effect there. We are made for good things. And we are made to do good things. This is not a gospel without repentance. And uh, maybe even bitterly to hear, this is not a gospel that doesn't challenge us. This is not a gospel that doesn't sometimes frustrate us. This is not a gospel that doesn't lead us into suffering and expose things in our hearts that are gross and wicked. And like I said, this is not a gospel that believes that faith and good works aren't aren't connected or, or interrelated. This is the gospel, however, that removes the carrot and the stick from God's hand. It's a gospel where our attempts to impress God by our own might and ability are not just declined by God, but they're actually offensive to him. It's a gospel where when Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, it actually he's actually meant it. It's actually true when we look at it. A gospel where all of these like, beautiful, rich, communal promises that are made, like, like come and eat without money, and all who are thirsty can come and drink. It's where all of these promises are freely given by God, and they're actually received, because there's not these building blocks that we have to stack in the right order in order to get to God. It's, I mean, it's like our passage says the the gift we, we that we get this gift of righteousness through faith and it compares it to Abraham. I mean, if you read the story of Abraham, Abraham, you know, God was like, hey, Abraham, uh, you're going to be the father of this, of this incredible nation. You and your wife are going to have a son. And he's like, my wife is super old. I think you're crazy. And he's like, just, just shut up and just listen to me. Just just listen, believe, and it'll be fine. And Abraham did not like have all of these years of like patient and pious obedience Like Abraham made plenty of mistakes and did plenty of pretty dumb things along the way. And yet what what Jesus said, that mustard seed of faith and it was made righteousness for him and God's promise and God's covenant was upheld. This is a weird week for me, dude. This is a weird week. This is a difficult week. I think this sermon if it's not landing for anybody else and that's, I, I apologize it means I probably dropped the ball in some sense. It was a sermon that I needed. This was, this was a this is a week for me, you know. It's funny I uh when I wrote this sermon I stayed up like super late Friday night and that's not a flex. I should have had a lot more done. This was like a this was like damage control. It wasn't like, "Ooh, I'm so so, uh, so, so, Christian, look at me. I'm up late, typing out a sermon. No, I was like, oh, shoot, I'm really behind. I need to catch up and get crack-a-lacking. Um, and so I, I, I looked at the clock, and it was like 1.30, and I remember having this thought in my head that was like, man, I bet God would actually be really, really pleased that I stayed up so late just to work on a sermon. God's going to be like, John, hmm you were here, man but this, 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 that you did, yeah, you're up here now. And then I had this thought, like just like, like this harsh breeze, just like blow that entire thought away. And I remembered that like, God is actually so joyfully pleased in the people who he has called out God is so joyfully happy and satisfied with all of those who have had faith in his son and believed in this good news, that 1.30, 2.30, 3.30, all-nighter, 30-hour sermon, preaching till every person here is saved or in heaven, doing everything I could, breaking my back twice and three times on Sundays. No matter what I could do, I couldn't make God love me more because his love was already overflowing. My cup was already overflowing. All of us, our cups are overflowing. And I like really needed that. And I know that the thought that that comes to your mind that probably came to my mind and still comes to my mind is like, but what about sin, right? I know I'm dropping the ball. I know I have issues. I'm not a perfect blank husband, wife, worker, son, doctor, cousin, whatever. I know that I'm not meeting what I'm supposed to be doing. How can what you're saying be true, John? It challenges this love that God is supposed to have for us, and it makes us complacent, or it makes us, it makes us content with this idea that, like, okay, well, I'll just settle with the fact that God doesn't love me that much. That's why I'm going to build this law that I'm going to be satisfied in. I read this, like, incredible—it was, like, super brief. It was this wonderful article by this, uh, by this columnist who I, who I follow— um, she's, a, she's a Christian. She actually came to faith pretty late in her life. Well, that's not true. She's probably like in her early 30s. She came to faith in her mid-20s. Um, but she, she wrote this uh, like little little piece on on just the faith itself, just called, It Will Happen Again and Again. And when she said that, she was talking about sin. She was talking about our imperfection. And she had this quote that I wrote down because it just kind of blew me away. And she said, In an era where solutions are often judged by their efficiency, it can be hard to accept that this is just how grace works on fallen creatures. Like a spiral circling around you over and over again as you repeat the same mistakes drawing nearer and nearer to your heart the longer you seek it. It isn't that grace is ineffective or inefficient, but that we are, being what we are, imperfect vessels for it. The miracle is that it works anyway. Like, just really knock me over. Or, you know, I, I, I used to love listening to Reliant K and... Okay, I still listen to the Reliant K every now and then. But just like one of their favorite lines that just like captured this idea of like still being a sinner, still being imperfect, but still being just like swallowed and consumed by the grace of God. It just goes, and this is how I choose to live, as if I'm jumping off a cliff, knowing that she'll save me knowing that she'll save me. And after all the stupid things I did, there's nothing left there to forgive because you already forgave me. You already forgave me. Just just does it. And so in our passage, um, Paul references this line from Deuteronomy where it talks about Jesus becoming a curse, and how in Deuteronomy it said, "Cursed is every man who hangs on a tree." The what the context behind that was that in these in these very like old school times, it was not so impossible, or it was it was uh, it was sometimes a thing where um, after a criminal was executed, typically by stoning, you would take that person's body and put him up on a tree. And that would be like this way of saying, hey, everybody, look at this dude. He did something awful. And so this passage in Deuteronomy is like, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. The whole point was for that person to become a spectacle, that you would look at him and you'd know, I'm not going to do that. That dude clearly, you know, angered the wrong people. And for whatever reason, that, that, that like new understanding of that, it reminds me of this verse from Hebrews where it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Just as this cursed criminal was hoisted up so that everyone would look at him and say, oh, that guy did something something pretty bad. Like there is the same thing that we fix our eyes on Jesus who has perfected and who has written and authored our faith in beautiful and perfect ways. Jesus was not a criminal who was, who was hanged by, imper, by innocent men, but he was an innocent man who was hanged up there by criminals. And in all the pain and suffering of Christ's death, we can see the good news. The good news that Jesus has seized us from the fire, has seized us from the power of sin, has seized us like, like a parent grabs a child who's running into a street. And he loves us, and we can be his forever. So um, right now, we're going to go into our confession. This is a chance for, like I said, we, there's all these different kind of segments we've built into um, our worship service to where uh, it gives you guys an opportunity to participate, to kind of be involved. Um, you guys just participated by listening, and the next step is for us to respond, we want to respond to anything you felt like God calling, us, calling you to or maybe just like something he was exposing or, or just something that you feel you need to chat with God about right now. I'm going to start that prayer. I'm going to pray just for a, a, like a few seconds. And then we're going to leave two minutes of silence for you guys to just have time to just respond and speak candidly with God. And then, uh, and then I'll bring us back and we will uh, we'll continue. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that your goodness is like this. It's like this incredible, it's like this this gem that fits in the palm of my hand, but it's so covered in dirt that I'm just like continuing to see more and more as like dirt gets removed and just seeing more of who you are and just how, how, I don't know, how holy you are, how how almost complex you are, but also how personal, how intimate you are. Um, There's just so much to explore in you, and I I thank you for it. But I I also, I have to, I'm compelled to thank you that you um, came to us, you humbled yourself for us, you loved us um, so that we could love you in response, and your love for us just overflows the cup that we have, like we we are almost undone, by the love that you have for us. There is nothing we need to do. There is no like, block or set of stairs that we can build to inch ourselves closer to you, but you have come to us. You are dwelling with us. You are good. Um, so yeah, Father, please help us to uh, just speak to you right now. Give us just enough silence in our own minds and hearts that we could actually come to you honestly.